everybody. Welcome to Making It, a weekly podcast about how to build a great business, produced by Enterprise. Your 6am briefing on finance, business and economics in Egypt. This season is brought to you by CIB, the partner of choice for CEOs and leaders of businesses at all stages of their growth stories. And by the United States Agency for International Development, which has a 40-year history of inspiring Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. Your host today is Hashem, Enterprise's Executive Editor. Remember the yellow pages? Did you know the original company based in the UK released its final print issue in 2019? So in 2001, the internet backed print industries into a corner. Yell, Yellow Pages' parent company, spent most of 2001 to 2011 acquiring other directory publishers and expanded its website to incorporate search engine capacity. But it wasn't nearly enough. By 2011, as print declined even further, Yale was reporting losses of up to 1.4 billion British pounds. The company warned that attempts to restructure its enormous debt could render the stock worthless. A four-year plan was announced to move away from traditional print and online advertising to focus on providing a broader range of digital services for both small businesses and consumers. They spent the next few years acquiring and partnering with mobile platforms, e-commerce, and web design companies. By 2017, Yell was ranked number one in terms of revenue from sales of managed digital marketing services for all types of businesses in the UK. In 2018, Yell announced 200 million British pounds in digital revenues. So how did Yellow Pages' parent company come back from the brink of collapse? They were able to achieve this with the help of cloud technologies and software provided by SAP, one of the world's leading enterprise software solutions providers. This paved the way for Yale's digital platforms and through them analytics and insights. Today, as the pandemic forces the world into extreme economic changes, the demand for digital infrastructure and services is higher than ever. Entire industries have adopted digital frameworks in order to survive. This changing world is one today's guest Huda Mansour understands well. Before joining SAP, she worked at top global tech companies including Oracle and Microsoft in various countries across the MENA region and the UK. Since joining SAP, her tenure saw her run operations in the UAE and Oman before becoming SAP's Managing Director of Egypt and Frontier Markets. She was recognized by Forbes twice once as one of the top 100 most influential women for 2018, and then again as one of the top 100 power businesswomen in the Middle East in 2020 for achieving triple-digit growth on the company's cloud business. In Egypt, Mansour was responsible for growing SAP's private sector customer base, particularly SMEs, who are increasingly looking to leapfrog to digital. The company also had an expanded role in helping the government grow its e-gov services. It has had a hand in a number of major projects and has worked with a number of agencies and ministries. This includes work on the New Capital, Egypt Post, and with the Finance Ministry. We sat down remotely with Huda during Ramadan to discuss the pandemic and rising demand for digital services. She highlights how technology has been able to tackle current issues like supply chain disruptions and provide a method for employees and students to connect securely and remotely. 
Huda reflects on why Egypt is seen as an attractive market to multinationals, noting that a young population and high potential for growth are factors that are difficult to find. We also discuss automation and fears of job displacement and why educating a diverse multidisciplinary workforce is the way forward. Hi, Huda. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Hisham, for the opportunity and Ramadan Kareem to you and all the listeners. Oh, Ramadan Kareem to you too. Normally, right about now, we'd be offering cake and coffee, but, you know, unfortunately, we can't because we're far away. I would have loved to, but I'm not quite sure if you know or not. I'm locked down in Dubai at the moment. Um, I traveled on the 18th of March, just before the lockdown in Cairo. I had to travel back to my mother, get her some uh, medicine. I did not imagine actually at the time that there would be a lockdown and I would be kept at home for more than a month. Oh no, you're stranded in the UAE. Yes, stranded in the UAE, following the law, getting a permit before moving out for any buying any stuff. That's crazy. The lockdown is that bad over there? Or I mean, that intense? It is intense. All right. I want to get jump right ahead here. Um, so we like to start off with the most important questions. And so my first question to you is, what toy or game did you play with growing up that most influenced you? Okay. Well, I played many games as a kid, right? So I played with the neighbors. I played with my sisters. But you know what? I used to play computer games. And I loved playing the games, the computer games. I recall actually that my dad got us uh, once something called Texas Instruments. I don't know whether you would uh, recall that there was something like that or not. And we they make the calculators. The <laughs> I don't know, but they make the TI eighty three graphing calculator. So I, I used to play during Ramadan. I used to play computer games, and I, I loved also the computer games where I played with my, some of my friends on the net. At the time, I was interested in computer science. And then the architecture department used to have some exams before you go into the um, to be accepted. And for some reason, they discovered that I'm talented. I loved arts, you know, I have to say. But I did not end up studying computer science, which was the plan that I initially had. When did you know you wanted to study it? At what age? You mean computer science or architecture? Yeah, I mean, just work with computers in general. When did you know that that was going to be, you know, your job or like what you wanted to do? At high school, it started at high school. I really wanted to study computer science. And then I went to the Faculty of Engineering with the principal and the interest to study computer science. But then I ended up in the architecture department for that, just being, you know, hard-headed, not accepting to be told no as a teenager at the time. Yeah, it gave me a lot of things that I would say impacted my career. Because even if you look now, when people study uh, computer science, they link technology with art. And I strongly believe that arts has a big impact as well on computer. And then my late dad at the time, he was actually working in the IT field. And he told me, you know what, it's, not, it's never too late. You get started again, study again, and go for it. And I did that. So give us an idea of what SAP actually does. SAP is the world leading uh, multinational software in enterprise uh, applications. Um, our aim is to have the world run better and improve people's lives. We have solutions starting from ERP solutions up to innovation solutions, such as uh, artificial intelligence, big data solutions, um, cybersecurity applications, and so on. And your customer base is where? You guys are multinational, right? So that's for everywhere around the world? Yes, we have offices in 180 countries all over the world. 
what is the one number you look at when you want to judge the health of SAP's business in Egypt? Mm, tough question, because actually there are several KPIs. So one element would be, of course, sales. And the sales are split into um, cloud sales, cloud solutions, and traditional on-premise solutions. Yeah, You have an angle that is related to profitability, of course, because the business has to be profitable. So PNL is an important element. You have an angle related to customer satisfaction and net promoter score. You guys offer services to clients across a lot of sectors, but which one in particular in Egypt is your bread and butter? Manufacturing, for sure. Um, consumer products, uh, healthcare. And what are the sort of uh, services that you offer to manufacturers? We offer the core software solutions for them. So they run their business on SAP. I'm sure part of what you do is to anticipate the needs of a client or a potential client. So how does that work? So we have experts coming from those 25 different industries. So we have people we've hired who do not have the technological background and then we upskill their resources or their capabilities from a technology perspective, but they speak the language. What is your most selling or in-demand service in Egypt? The intelligent enterprise is the core of SAP which is the core ERP with all the functions, whether it's finance, procurement, HR, manufacturing, and you get the software and it comes with different flavors for the industries. And the software comes as well with something that we call the model company or best practices for a specific industry. So if you're in pharma, you have the best practices for pharmaceuticals. Best practices means that we get the experiences from all of our clients from all over the world who have been working in a specific industry. And this is reflected in the software itself. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel or do the workflows from scratch. So is it just upgrading their systems um, or do you like invent a whole new system for them? No, we, we do the invention and we do innovations as well. Because we look, for instance, at oil and gas, right? And we look at consumer products. The oil and gas companies have distribution and there is an overlap between industries, right? Same applies, for instance, telecommunications and consumer. There is still an overlap. So we get experiences from one industry and apply it to another one. And you guys are cloud-based, correct? We are both. We offer cloud uh, solutions and we offer perpetual on-premise solutions. At the moment, the cloud offering, when it comes to the public sector or public sector-related entities, is a bit of a challenge because of the government guidelines, unfortunately. I was going to ask, so, I mean, cloud getting into cloud-based services is a tough business, partly because it's dominated by, you know, people like Amazon Web Services. So Amazon is one of the hyperscalers who are hosting our technologies. Google is one of them, and Microsoft is one of them as well. So give us an idea of the scale of SAP, like, as a global business and its presence in Egypt. Like, where does it stand out? Like, where does it rank amongst its competitors? What's its market share? That sort of thing. So um, globally, our revenues last year was in excess of 13 billion euro of revenue. I would say that SAP has been gaining grounds for the last two years. Very, very, very strong grounds in the last two years. I know you guys rely on a lot of data. Is that true? Mm-hmm. 100%. And what are you guys doing to make sure that your customers' data is protected? A, we have to get their consent to use the data. B, we do not share this data with any other party. Even internally within the departments of SAP, data is not just shared. 
whether it's for employees, it's for customers, you have to access the data on need-to-know basis and for the people who only have the right to access this data. And in terms of security, we have very strong security measures. So for instance, for our cloud um, platforms, very strict security measures, and we're happy to walk our customers through those security measures to show them how we're protecting our data centers and the, the customer data. And so would data from your customers here in Egypt be stored abroad? Depends, right? So if a customer, a private sector customer, decide to use cloud software, yes, it would be stored abroad because we do not have a data center in Egypt. Um, so we hear that you guys are expanding your customer base to include SMEs. Yes. What type of businesses, whether by size or activity, are we talking about here? So SAP always had the focus on SMEs. Maybe um, when people look at SAP, they think they are only targeting large enterprises. But the reality of the matter is 80% of the revenue of SAP comes from small and medium businesses. 80%? 80%, 8-0. This is globally or in Egypt? Globally, globally. What's the number in Egypt? I cannot give the split of the numbers, but it would be less than that. It would be less than that, but we still have very, very small in companies in, in Egypt. And I can say, for instance, the company started even from five users of the system. Oh, wow. So that, that small. That small, yes. We can do, for instance, co-innovation. Sometimes you have startups who are working on a new, fresh idea, and they can use our technology for that from a technology perspective, or it's an ERP Interesting. or digital core perspective. So startups would come to you to provide them with infrastructure for how to build their products. Correct. And naturally, because they would be limited in budgets, they would go for cloud offerings because they don't want to be operating their own infrastructure. They don't want to hire people in IT necessary to look after um, servers and all of these things. You know what? Actually, every month we get maybe more than 100 net new names from very small, very, very small, tiny customers. What eGov services are you providing right now or are you supporting right now? Okay, so we are uh, partnering with uh, Egypt Post. Most of the technological infrastructure from a software perspective at Egypt Post is SAP, right? So whatever they, they use to serve um, their end customers is, is on SAP. So you're arguably the, the biggest tech services provider for the biggest financial institution in Egypt. If we look at it from that perspective, then it's a big yes. And I'm confident. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's the biggest bank in Egypt for like as far as the informal economy is concerned. Everyone uses the post. Egypt for, post. Yeah, Egypt yes. post. So this is one element. And um, if I look at another uh, department or a ministry, I would say Ministry of Finance. And they are doing now the tax reform program on SAP. If I look at the administrative capital for development. Oh, get, uh, give us details on that because we follow the finance ministry intensely at Enterprise. So we'd be interested to know what you guys, what do you mean you guys are helping support them in terms of tax reform? What's that? Our part is the technology part as well. So to make sure that we have the technology infrastructure that would detect people who would be A, evading their tax declaration or no be not reporting on time. Yes, unfortunately. I thought you, I thought, I thought, I thought you were going to tell me that you guys are helping them build the system that let people file their taxes online. I didn't know you guys were also responsible for catching tax dodgers. From technology perspective, yes. You, you know, there are algorithms. You know, putting or filing online, all of these things, you will have it in the system. But what's more important than that is understanding what would be the potential, okay, of people 
not filing their tax return or giving wrong information in the tax return or giving the early alerts. It's all about the AI that you have in the platform to help you achieve that. What other ministries are you working with and on what? Yeah, Ministry of Public Business Sector. So we have won uh, three holding companies. Oh, the Public Enterprises Ministry? Yes. So we we are transforming 60 companies for the Public Enterprises Ministry. Um, With the Ministry of Petroleum, of course. We have a very strong relationship with the Ministry of Petroleum, with EGPC and its affiliates. And they are doing a big transformation with the ministry there. Of course, we're working very closely with the Ministry of ICT uh, on uh, planning for what needs to be done in Egypt. We're not only the only technology company, but the Ministry of ICT is, of course, making sure that they have the right relationships with all the multinationals and the local companies, big local companies, to support the digital transformation of Egypt. But you know what, Hisham? If you look at those projects that I've mentioned now, whether it's with the Ministry of Finance, Ministry of Public Business Sector or Public Enterprises, Ministry of Petroleum, Egypt Post, you'll be very pleasantly surprised to know that the ministers themselves attend meetings that are related to digital transformation. The president himself... Yeah, it's a big thing for the government, a huge priority. The, the, His Excellency, the president. It was very interesting, actually, that he went himself into the details just to make sure that this is on top of everyone's agenda. It's, it's extraordinary, I can tell you. What's happening in Egypt is extraordinary. Um, are you guys doing anything with health and education right now? Because that's kind of like the big focus since COVID. Yeah. So from a healthcare perspective, we are um, currently the technology also provider from a software perspective to a lot of uh, hospitals. So Dar al-Fuad Hospital, uh, the whole Alameda group are using our technologies and pharma as well. I would say most of the pharmaceutical companies and the, um, the pharmacies in Egypt are using our technology. From an education perspective, some of the universities, um, we tried actually to offer universities and schools free offerings during the COVID-19. So we went very proactively to offer our technology platform for education, free of charge till end of June for universities, for schools, for whoever wants to use it, just to make sure that we have the right support for our local community. We opened really the whole thing. So what what I gave the team as a mandate, uh, we had a global offering that was only free for 14 days. I've got the approval to make it free up until the end of June. And we we basically published uh, this through our network, saying that any school that would like to opt in to use the technology, which is basically an e-learning platform where you can track where the students are, um, how much of progress they have done. You can even put your um, exams online. You can trace if someone's trying to mislead uh, or uh, maybe cheat during, uh, cheat is the right word, during an exam. Uh, so you told me that eGov has become a huge priority for the government. You were talking a little bit ago about the president pushing this forward. Are you guys now seeing stiff competition in this area? Are you guys competing with more companies in eGov? Yes, and it is healthy, by the way. It's extremely healthy to see competition because you cannot find one company or you cannot leave the place to one company to take it all. Is scaling up easy for you because you're a multinational? Or do you face your own unique challenges doing that? I had to define my strategy. And I defined my strategy after making so many interviews. I met with so many people in the first months, whether the employees, to understand where are the opportunities, what are the challenges. I met with the partners, almost everyone. I met with the customers. And then 
I met with analysts to see what are the predictions for Egypt, how do they see Egypt, and then I started executing. So setting the, the parameters, setting where you need to focus is quite important, or else you can be distracted with so many things. So what is the strategy? Where, where did you focus? Where did you decide to focus when you took over? I decided to focus on our ecosystem to make sure that I have enough partners and right partners to help me execute. Nobody can work and operate on their own, right? So who are the partners for us? Number two, the big clients that we had already. So I had to meet with them and make sure that those are good references for us. The government. We had little presence in 2018, to be very honest with the government. And this is completely transformed now. All right. I think now's a good time for a quick break to thank our friends who helped make the show possible. MateyNet is brought to you in association with USAID. For 40 years, the American people through USAID have invested over $30 billion to inspire Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. Are you finding it harder to compete with homegrown businesses or more established multinationals here? Um, like, do they have an advantage over you guys because you are a newcomers, you were, or at least pushed it into, in terms of your presence here in Egypt? Or because you guys have this big international network, you guys kind of came in heavy and you and the advantage or the initiative, so to speak, was with you. There were multinational companies who were before uh, for us for a significant amount of time. And this was a challenge that we found here in the UAE as well and the, the rest of the Middle East uh, countries. Right? How did you Again, overcome that challenge? Leading with innovation. You cannot continue to do the traditional stuff that you used to do 10 years ago. What tech did you guys innovate? to compete here in Egypt against the already present multinationals? I would not say that we innovated here in Egypt, but we use, it's, it's like a fabric that you model or get something out of this fa fabric or elements or Lego and put it together to build something new. So you need to build something new, right? You need to think of something that would attract people. So how can you think in a way that would fit exactly this market? And Egypt is a young market. 60% of the population is be below the, the age of 30. That's a tremendous asset. You cannot find somewhere else that easily. If you look at the other demographies, for instance, around the world in countries like Japan, it's an aging population, right? Europe, in some countries, these are aging population. Egypt is a young population, full of startups, full of energy. So you need just to make sure that you put your assets you put your time, you put your focus in the right direction so that you can achieve the results and the KPIs that you have been hired to fulfill while bringing value to the country. So we are establishing center of excellence in Egypt for several functions to serve other countries. And I got now the commitment from my management after the execution that the team has been doing over the past two years to invest more and more in the country. And for me, that's amazing. This is exactly what I want. I'm going to throw out the names of a few pieces of technology or a few technological services, and you tell me if you guys offer them or not. Just yes or no. Mm -hmm. Internet of Things. Yes. Artificial intelligence. Yes. Blockchain. Yes. Machine learning. Yes. Automation services. Yes. Oh, wow. So you have run the whole gambit of everything. Yes. <laughs> I want to talk about automation. Mm -hmm. Is it growing? Is the demand for automation services in Egypt growing? Yes, it is. Again, the crisis that we're facing now have proved that the survival would be for the companies who 
have automated their backends, who have visibility on their operation, and who can transform and act fast. Which companies or businesses are demanding automation services the most? Like what areas are they in? Uh, manufacturing, um, distribution. If you turn on the TV and listen to any of the, um, the news channels, everyone is talking about disruption in the supply chain. And this is one area that we have been talking to our clients over periods of time. Digital supply chain, disruption of supply chain, track and trace. And that's why, you know what, we also provided one of our offerings free of charge, again, all over the world, for the companies to find the right suppliers and help the countries where we're living, right, to avoid the disruption in the supply chain. So we have one of our solutions, which is called Ariba Network. It's the biggest business-to-business network in the world. It's bigger than Amazon, Alibaba, and uh, eBay combined. It has more than 4.2 million entities in the network with 3.1 trillion US dollars of business last year. And we're opening up the supplier network just for the companies to go in and see what are the alternatives for them so that nobody, the life does not stop. So automation is inevitable, basically. Yes. Yes. And as a matter of fact, it's already kind of started here. Yes. Um, And there are companies in Egypt, by the way, that we discovered who are already on that network. In fact, we discovered that almost one uh, billion of business are being transacted from companies inside Egypt through the Ariba network, which, which is uh, tremendous. That's amazing. So automation comes with its set of challenges. And I'm afraid I might be replaced by a robot tomorrow. You know, <laughs> Egypt already has a, um, and like its unemployment has kind of been hovering between nine and 10 for the past few years. How can Egypt prepare itself for mass adoption of automation and the job losses that could come with it? Because Egypt doesn't really have a good history with dealing with that. I mean, all right, a couple of years ago, I walk into a building and I went into an elevator and there was an elevator operator. I don't think that job has existed anywhere else for the last 150 years or something. And here we are in the 21st century with an elevator operator. You know, we still have the hantur being used. So Egypt is not really good at getting rid of obsolete jobs. And if automation is coming and becoming as big as you say, what can Egypt do to prepare for that? Yeah, I would look at the elevator operator and I still see the elevator operator in some of the buildings that I visit. I believe that those jobs exist because we are trying to fill in gaps. We are trying to put people in jobs, right? right. And that's a social element that we need to think about. But to get prepared, to get back to the main question that you were asking about getting prepared for the technology, it all starts with education. So does Egypt have the talent right now for that, to support that? Egypt has the the right uh, infrastructure in terms of determination, I would say, vision. But we need to invest more in educating people. We need to invest more in soft skills. We need to invest more in technology education. This is where we need actually to make sure that we have the right fabric of graduates. We have the right fabric starting from school to train people, not only in technology, by the way, how to build a business case, how to present your case, how to get an interview, how to pass an interview. All of these things are elements they need to know because it's not only about Egypt. It's about competing globally. Is it hard to find decent talent here in Egypt? I don't think it's hard. You know. I had the opportunity maybe to live and work in three different continents, right? Mm -hmm. And when I I moved from Egypt to Europe, I excelled. I excelled. I was successful. 
but I lacked the soft skills at the time. And that's why I'm saying people have to invest in soft skills. And I learned it maybe the hard way. Now, if I look at the graduates of, from university, sometimes I'm really happy you know, when we interview fresh grads because we have a program for the fresh grads uh, or the, what we call the academy. And we have different academies for different functions. I got very, very excited when I meet uh, young talents because they are much better than where, you know, when I was a graduate. But, are, but is Egypt graduating enough of them to support a digitized economy? I believe, yes. We have 40 plus universities in Egypt. Can you imagine? That's a massive uh, scale. But not all of them are teaching AI and a lot of these very, very advanced digital services that you guys provide. Yeah, but we don't need anyone to be specialized in the same discipline. Right. We need people who are studying arts. We need people who are studying AI. We need people who are studying uh, finance, right? And then you need a combination of all of these. You need the diversity. Diversity is an essence. We, you can't have only just computer science engineers sitting in a room coming up with something that they think it would work. No, because it will not work. You need to get this diverse disciplines. You need to put them together. And then based on that, you will have innovation. So you pick from a whole diverse fields yes. and not just tech. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You guys have hired any elevator operators recently? Not yet. <laughs> I don't think that we need those in our company, but I'm sure that uh, they might have, have opportunities as well. All right. What can we be doing to get more people, particularly women, to acquiring the tech skills we need to adapt to this digitized economy? I have to say that maybe because I was uh, brought up or raised in a way that was gender blind, I did not feel that there was a problem in women or women were minority. Yes, we were a minority, but you know, so what? I didn't feel it. I didn't feel that it was an issue. When I go, for instance, to ITI, which is the um, Information Technology Institute that belongs to the uh, Ministry of ICT, they have a lot of women who are working there. There are so many women who are going into... Uh, but, uh, but on the technical side? Yes, on the technical side, even in, in our company. We have more women than men in our company. As engineers? In Egypt, yes. In Egypt, we have more women than men. We use our technology as well, our software in hiring, right? Because we have a hiring module and it is unbiased. It uses artificial intelligence to give you a recommendation that is gender agnostic. That's encouraging. Yeah. So how different was it for you being a woman in tech and in business abroad versus in Egypt? That's a question that a tricky question, I have to say, right? Uh, why? Because first of all, um, the first country outside of Egypt that I worked uh, at was the UK, right? And coming from Egypt, having a leadership position in the UK was not the most, um, I would say, uh, easy task, right? You had to prove at all times that you are fit. Is it because you were Egyptian or is it because you were a woman? No, because I was in the Middle East, Middle Eastern. Right. You know, this is the, the view. Muslim coming from the Middle East. I have to say that. Mm -hmm. And I was leading uh, um, a diverse team from various nationalities and people were looking at me as, okay, you know, I was clearly a Muslim because I used to stick to the guidelines uh, of my religion. And I was proud of it and I was vocal about it. So I, I was different, basically, right, mm -hmm. from them. Yeah. So it was not the uh, the easiest part. So I had to work hard. I had to work harder, but it made me stronger, I have to say. Um, you find it's easier always, in Egypt? Absolutely. Egypt, mm -hmm. if, you, if you look at Egypt, by the way, people would respect a woman who is very well educated. If you look at the ministers, how many ministers, women ministers do we have? Yeah. How much of respect do people look at, uh, give them, right? Because they excel in what they do. Um. 
So the CBE has made financial inclusion and fintech a key component of its policy strategy. Uh, yeah. If you had to name any obstacles that's kind of hindering that growth, like, yes, f- f- top down, we're getting a lot of promotion in fintech, but we're not seeing as wide of adoption of it in Egypt. Why is that? Mm-hmm. And what obstacles like do we need to overcome to get to get there? I believe allowing the access to cloud services, because a lot of all those technologies are developed in the cloud, are available in the cloud. And for the small companies that are being supported, for instance, by the CBE, they need to be agile. They need to have access to fast technologies. They need to try things quick and fail fast, right? And then retry again and come up with ideas. So access, availing access and allowing access to technologies and consuming technology in cloud is, uh, is a must, I believe. All right. Can we talk COVID? Yes. You know, the lockdown happened. Everything is going digital. Were you guys already, as SAP uh, service provider, were you guys already like sort of establishing systems for a complete work from home? Or was this something or the impetus to develop that came from COVID back in January? We do not operate all of our clients' uh, infrastructure, but we do provide services. So if the service is provided in the cloud data center of SAP, then we manage this. So who are the essential clients that we need to, to be aware of? How can we make sure that they operate? How can we make sure that their business is not down and all of these things? So this is a discussion that I personally had as a managing director. But for the customers themselves, they have to make sure that they have the right resources to continue their operation. But you already had the technology ready for that ahead of time. So it's just a matter of how do you get, like prioritizing how the service gets launched or how it operates during COVID. Yes, and it was more of an internal alignment from the customers themselves. Some of the customers asked us about our best practices and we shared it proactively. We shared even the tools to to establish uh, remote uh, working practices. So we told them that these are the tools that we're using. This is what IT globally have developed for us. And we shared those best practices because it's in the best of interest of anyone that life continues. Have all your customers here been calling you and asking you for help on this? Not everyone, no. I think the IT departments of the customers uh, stepped uh, stepped up uh, to a large extent. And we shared a lot of information uh, on our uh, social media channel and online. Uh, but you are seeing increased demand for your services since the crisis, correct? We were not hit. Let me put it this way. We had a very strong quarter in Q1. In fact, today, Egypt has been announced to win the market unit of the quarter. No way. For, uh, for, yes. <laughs> For oh, our region. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. It's the team effort, and I'm so glad that uh, we managed to, to do that. It's an honor, actually, to see Egypt's name being repeatedly emphasized on those calls. Yeah, and when the president announced it, I was so proud. So, you know, not to sound callous, but business was good. Business was good during the crisis because of the maturity of the decision makers. This is the time that you need to accelerate your digital transformation. Use it, right? Because you can continue to work remotely. There's nothing that will prevent you from working remotely. So even though you guys don't operate the infrastructure for your customers, you do have a pretty good sense of what's under the hood. So you can kind of give us some information from that perspective. So what kind of businesses have really, really intensified their upgrade and their digitization during COVID? Well, I've seen the government not stopping, you know, and this this was um, big hats off uh, basically to the government, you know. So 
they continued, you know, whatever they're working on, they are continuing with focus. I've seen that from the big private sector clients. I've seen very strong leadership, people who are visionary and taking the discussions. People have not said this is not the time for us to, to move ahead. No, this is the time to move ahead. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to comment or maybe suggest a guest, send us an email at makingit@enterprise.press. That's makingit@enterprise.press. Making It is produced by Enterprise, your morning briefing on business, finance, and economics in Egypt. Subscribe today for free at enterprise.press. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever else you get your shows. Did you love today's episode? Like us or give us a five-star rating and a review to help others discover us. This season is brought to you by CIB and by the United States Agency for International Development. And that's how we're making it.